Hello everybody and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I am the Grumpy Surfer and your host Ads Lyson. If you want to receive 10% off your OmbiSurf programs, go to ombeombe.co forward slash ref forward slash Grumpy Surfer to receive 10% off any of your OmbiSurf programs. They have surfboard programs, how to choose your own, how to choose the correct surfboard, surf skating, cardboard surfer to improve how you flow with your surfing and also the 12-week program which is amazing they also have their own surfing community and app which gets you involved with people in the like-minded way that you guys are whether it's whether you're a beginner intermediate advanced intermediate awesome program so let's continue the podcast that we left off with dan thornton a south african surfer jiu-jitsu practitioner and also an all-round legend. So, please enjoy part two of my conversation with Dan Thornton. I think by small small teams of bootnecks and, and what they were capable of, you know, it, at the beginning of the deployment, we were a bit gutted that we weren't going to be able to operate as a, as a large fighting force you know like 4-2 and and what 40 were doing and you know we we were a bit upset that we were sort of missing out on that and you know but once we sort of understood you know the impact we were making and and got to sort of build those relationships with the afghans and live with them and work with them and and really embed ourselves it was a pretty crazy experience it was it was it was really enjoyable and, and definitely something i'll remember forever yeah i can imagine it'd be quite challenging because they're not necessarily conscripts, are they? They're basically just civvies thrown into rig, and then they give them some weapons, and uh, and that's your army. And I remember because uh, we were just based outside uh, a little town called Goresh, which is sort of like halfway down the uh, the Sangam Valley. Um, we we were a couple of couple of k's outside the main town, and uh, we'd um, we we were in the uh, MSG, so I was a tanky corporal, and. Uh, you know, we provided the Overwatch fire support from uh, from uh, armored mountain Land Rovers, so H uh, heavy machine guns and uh, and general purpose machine guns. Um, so it was it was pretty cool, but I remember going into these uh, into these uh, Afghan National Army sort of camps or bases, which were basically like the old Russian sort of like holiday resorts that they kind of taken over as their their base and. You know, once it got past a certain time, they were smoking, smoking loads of weed and taking loads of drugs, and they were like singing and dancing around, and it seemed like you know a a bit like a a Banyan army more than anything else. So, when I saw you guys on the ground, you know, mentoring these these people, it it must have been quite challenging at times. Yeah, it it was it was challenging. I mean, it, I remember they um as as part of the beat up you know one of the training exercises we we did for it the 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 training teams actually got where did they get them from i think they were like um they weren't reservists they were like a like a university um you know like the the university cadets and they got these guys to come in for the week and then we had to mentor them and we had to like teach them and then go on patrols with them and help them in the, and and the these university cadets and that was it was amazing training because exactly the same you know these they shame and we, we, when we started with them you know they they had a lot of um 
what we would say here in South Africa, they, they wanted to fight, they were keen, they wanted to patrol, they were just, you know, not very good at it. And, you know, their equipment was, was in, in shitty order. And, you know, to be able to then work with them over months and months in an entire deployment, you know, and by the end of it, you know, these guys were getting shit hot. You know, they were clearing, clearing houses, they were patrolling perfectly, they were, you know, using, you know, the way that they were on the radio, that they were the moving teams around the way that they were, you know, op operating and, and doing their own training. And it was, it was amazing to see a transformation over, over just a few months, you know, in deployment. And, you know, very proudly being able to sort of hand them over to the next unit of guys coming in and taking over from us was was pretty cool. And you know, we struck up some some amazing relationships, not just with the with the military commanders, but with our interpreters. So we we were working with with Terps over there who were sort of highly educated guys. I mean, the the Terp that I had for months. You know, we slept side by side, you know, ate together every day. I went nowhere without my turp. And, you know, it didn't matter how heavy shit was getting, he needed to be next to me. And, you know, we, we had some good times together. We, we stayed in touch for, for actually many years afterwards. And you know, he, was a, he was a doctor, but he was getting paid more by the British military for being, being a Terp than, than he was as a doctor. So, you know, these, these guys are amazing and the work they did out there was insane. Well, at least you know if you've got a doctor next year and get shot, you're going to get sorted out, sort of. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, what did you leave in the end? Um, I left because I was at a, at a time in my career where I was a senior captain, you know, after my time at 4-5 on MSG, I was one of the senior captains. And, you know, it was inevitable, you know, the, the light at the, the end of the tunnel approaching junior staff college and, you know, the inevitable desk job and, and pushing admin. And, you know, the next time, just, just the way you know, a, a, a career officer's, you know, journey goes is, you know, I was going to have to leave the unit. I was going to have to go to staff college. I was then going to be in probably admin jobs for the next four years. And if I did really well, I could maybe get back to a unit again, you know, as a company commander. And I just, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to, to be behind a desk for four years. I, I thought, you know, I, I enjoyed the operational side of it. I enjoyed, you know, working with the teams and working with the lads and, and, and being sort of busy and operational. Like that's, that's what I absolutely loved about the core and the unit lifestyle, you know, just being, being in the units with the different companies and, you know, the officers and NCOs and, and the lads there. I mean, that, that was, that is, you know, the best, very best part of the core. And, and I dreaded, absolutely dreaded being stuck behind a desk and, and having to, to, to chase the admin for, for a few years until I could get back. And so, you know, decided to, to take another route. Yeah. I mean, that's what a, a lot of guys do. If I, you know, if you, if you look at how people developed out of that sort of era, um, you know, we talked about a little bit before, you know, I said that some guys, you know, joined up, did their minimum four years, managed to go away in that 2001 to 2014 era and um, did a tour you know we're in a firefight saw some horrific stuff some might not have and gone do you know what i've seen it now i've had me fail i'm going to go off and go off and do something else and do you know what after doing 22 years that's off to him 
Um, but, you know, I'm at the time of my life now where I'm sort of 40 years old. I've still got another career ahead of me as well. And, uh, you know, I, I might be doing it sort of like 15, 16 years on from uh, from you. But, you know, it's uh, it's it's kind of an exciting time to have almost that that freedom to go. Do you know what? I've achieved something that no one ever's ever going to do or see in their life. I've lived a lifetime before I'm, you know, 25, 26 years old, and now I'm going to go on to do something different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, the, the amount of living, you know, that the guys will get to do in the core and, and the places you'll go and the people you'll meet and the, the experiences you'll, you'll get to have that, you know, if, if you were a billionaire, you wouldn't be able to experience some of the shit that the boys in the in, in in the core have have done and seen and experienced. So it is, it's absolutely amazing. And I, I think as as a young lad, sort of, you know, I would I would do it a million times over. If if I had it, if I had to go, I would I no regrets, would have done it exactly the same a million times over. You know, the 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 experiences and you know what the core is can can give you as a, as a young guy i mean there's nothing in university that can teach you to to grow up and and give you the the skills for life you know and prepare you to to take on the world like like time in the marines will do so i i absolutely loved it and and i would i would love my kids to 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 join up as well for sure so after leaving uh did you have a plan about what you were going to do when you leave or did you just leave on a ad hoc web and go, do you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll come to that herd when I, when I get there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I knew, I knew that the, you know, the guys in the, in the private security space were, were, were making some money. Um, I knew that, you know, I was super keen to, to get back to South Africa and sort of get, get back into the lifestyle there after, after getting out of, out of the military um, that was really something I was I was very excited about doing and sort of get, getting back to my roots there and getting back to to my old friends and family there, um, and yeah, I mean it it took me took me a little while to to sort of start up my my next career and and sort of get involved there and and yeah, I mean I, I started a sort of second career in as a as a sort of security security consultant. Um, and ended up sort of bouncing around different parts of the world, work, working for different oil and gas companies as a, as a consultant. How was that whole experience for you? And, and did you join it uh, like a lot of people did? And this is no detriment to you whatsoever, but, you know, a lot of guys go into the private security sector after, you know, especially sort of that time, time during Afghanistan and, and Iraq because there was a lot of money in it as well. You know, you could make a lot of money within a six minute, six month um, period. And, you know, you'd be set for a, for a couple of years. I mean, that's how much money people were making out of it. Was, was that sort of like a pro for it? Or was it just the fact that it was just something different and you, you wanted to get into it? Um, no, I mean, it was, it was definitely the money. It was also the sort of obvious progression you know and and something to to be able to do i mean you know i didn't i didn't really have a cv to do anything else and yeah i mean it, i i've definitely definitely got sort of stuck in that you know if i had to do it over i mean there's there's probably a million things i'd, I'd love to do otherwise i'd love to have traveled and surfed and worked in surf camps and 
you know, actually do do some of the stuff that, you know, I absolutely love and, and my interests and that, but they just weren't paying the bills. And, you know, it was, it was a great experience that I had, you know, immediately getting into a decent paying job after the call. And, you know, a lot of the, the consulting jobs were in high risk parts of the world. And so we were working rotational. So, you know, I had, I was still sort of late twenties and um, living in SA, traveling one month on and, and being home for one month. And, you know, I was spending six months of the year traveling the world and, and getting to see, see places and do things I hadn't done during the call because I'd been so busy. And, you know, I had a nice pocket full of cash be, because I'd, I'd managed to get in, into that industry. Um, so it was, it was good. And, you know, very similar to the call, it, it took me to some pretty special, pretty crazy places. You know, I, I worked in Nigeria for many years in the Niger Delta. I was in Cameroon for a bit. I operated in, in Libya and Egypt. I was in Yemen for a few years and, you know, in and out of Iraq and, and Northern Iraq as well. And so, you know, places, places in the world that, that, that I've sort of been with the oil and gas industry have been pretty phenomenal, met some cool people, done some pretty cool shit. Um, and dealt with some, you know, pretty, pretty amazing sort of scenarios and circumstances and, and situations um, that, again, you know, sort of all, all sort of add to the, the life experience. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely not a, not a Gucci career. There's, there's nothing sexy about it. There's, you know, probably a hundred other things that, you know, would be a lot more enjoyable and, and that I would have maybe chosen if, if I could have made money that way. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And it's, you know, it's, it's allowed me to, to be in South Africa and, and earn money and, and live there full time because, you know, there aren't that many opportunities to, to be able to make some decent money in SA. And so the, the security industry and, and traveling around the world for that is, has, has enabled me to do that and sort of build a, build a lack of lifestyle there at home for, for me and the family. So it's been good. It must have been quite a, uh, a, 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 an eye-opening experience for you because, you know, where you're in the military, you've got, you know, support, air support, you've got QRF if, so, if something goes wrong. You know, when you're in, that, you're in that private security element and, you know, shit starts to go downhill quick, you don't have the backup support from, from other people, do you? It's like you and the guys that you're with and, and, and that's it. There must have been a couple of situations where you're like, Ah, this is this is gonna go in a bit wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, we we had we had quite a few circumstances, you know, different situations and and stories out of Nigeria, where you can't travel around armed. You know, there's no Western armed support or, or armed armed teams like there are in Iraq either. So you're relying on locals. You're relying on police or you're relying on Nigerian Navy or, or army guys to take you around. And so, you know, you're this big, big Western target trying to get stuff done in the jungle there and trying to negotiate different, you know, with diff different groups and, and different situations. And so it, it is, it's, it's way higher risk than, than when we were in, you know, the, the exposure that you've got there is is absolutely massive because there is no QRF. There's 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 no air support. There's no no one's coming in to help you. And and I experienced some some pretty hairy situations in Yemen as well when trying to negotiate with local tribes because you know our operational base had been seized and taken over. And 
you know, trying to trying to sit around and negotiate with with local Yemeni tribes. So there's guns on the table and everyone's armed to the teeth, and you're the only person in there with no gun and pretty pretty horrendous. You know, Iraq was was pretty crazy as well. You know, luckily in Iraq, you know, we're still working with some some really good private security companies there and they had teams of of westerners armed armed up to the hilt so that that was that was good and good support there but again you know if anything serious had to kick off you've got no air support you've got no medevac choppers coming in to help you out there's you know you've got a, a small qrf back in the base to come and help you but you're still super exposed and you know as a private operator there it's it, it can get get pretty hairy in in some of those parts of the world and so it was a, it was a good experience you know libya was was another good one i mean it kicked off there you know i oversaw country evacuations of of oil companies in in libya and yemen and you know kurdistan and and so you know the the years i spent working in in the oil business was was good it was it was interesting it was exciting at times um, but again, it's it's mainly just pushing papers. It's a desk job. It's risk assessments. It's 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 pretty it's pretty boring, you know, compared to the 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 good fun and the and the banter and and getting to work with guys, you know, in the core. Um, it was very different, and and the risk was definitely there. And and something that you you definitely miss was the quality of the lads you were working with. You know, it didn't matter how good the company was or how good the the private security companies were. You were never getting to work with, you know, an entire troop or an entire company or an entire unit of of highly trained, highly, you know, specialist bootnecks who, you know, all they wanted to do every single day was be better than their buddy. You know, you, you, you I've never experienced that anywhere else in the world for working in any industry was that that level of professionalism and, and that level of competitiveness that you, you see in the core where they're just trying to, to outdo each other every single day. And, and that's that's something I'll always miss. I think we do forget that sometimes, you know, I think the, the Marines out of all the forces has uh, probably got some of the, the highest educated people, uh, people that can think for themselves and and be able to uh, adapt if if something different happens that that doesn't necessarily go to plan um which which you know which is more of a positive than anything i mean obviously you know we're going to be biased talking about this because you know we've we've joined we've joined that brotherhood we've joined that establishment so we're always going to have a, a biased outlook on that um one of the things that we have sort of I'm digressing a little bit here, by the way, that we've kind of overlooked a little bit is uh, jujitsu. Uh, when did when did you start training jujitsu? Now, the funny thing, unfortunately, I actually started really late. Um, I, I didn't do any jujitsu until I left the corps. Um, I went back to as soon as I got back to South Africa, uh, I went back and, and set up shop in, in Jeffrey's Bay. And, you know, there was a, one of the, the surf clubs there, the, the, the locals had, had been training jiu-jitsu for about a year or two years. And, and, and I got into it with them and, and we, we were training in a, in a big double garage, you know, one of the boys had converted his garage and got some mats on the floor. And, and I learned, I learned there. So I probably, probably started, when did I get, maybe 2008. So, so yeah, I've been, been doing it a little late, while. So. I, I started 2013. So nice. Yeah. Nice. It's, it's not that late. I was what I was 30, 33, 33. Yeah. 
32 33 yeah so yeah i've been been doing it been doing it on and off you know and and been doing it pretty pretty low-key i mean we don't live you know near any big cities and so you know the main the main gyms the main guys in south africa like the the top black belts and and the main sort of jiu-jitsu academies are all in the cities and you know when we were sort of coming up for a few years we we travel for two hours and go and get a class in the city once a week and you know get it that way and otherwise we were kind of just teaching ourselves in the in the garages you know all the surfers trying to trying to figure it out and and roll and and learn as as we went and so yeah it definitely definitely took us took us some time to to get to a level and and we, we've just 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 kept it going now and in uh, out in Cape St. Francis where I live now a little little surf village little surf sort of tourist village um, about 30 minute drive from J Bay. We've, we've also, we've got a really nice gym there. They've got like this epic CrossFit gym and we've got mats on the floor there. We, we train there most days now. We've got a, got a good handful of, of surfers and, and locals now who train there. So it's, you know, it's, it's been good, but I, I love it. It's absolutely amazing sport. How'd you find it with the, with, with the mindset? Because obviously, you know, you've been through, been through some quite, harrowing things you know through your life whether it was in the marines or whether it was doing you know private security um do you find much like i do uh that jujitsu and surfing kind of ground you a little bit and 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 keeps um and keeps your mental mind track uh going uh, i've talked to quite a lot of people that um that don't the thing that I find with people with, I'm going off on a tangent here, by the way. So yeah, I'm going to talk about mental illness, <gasps> mental illness. Let, let's go. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I, the people that I find that suffer uh, primarily with, with mental illness are people that don't really have like a, like a focus. They don't have something that they can, they can take a grip on. That's kind of like a, a an outlet for what's going on in their, uh, in their melon. So I, I kind of, I've done a few mental health courses and stuff, not necessarily being selfish to, to help other people, but, you know, to identify any kind of issues that, that I see in, in myself, because I've, I've seen some pretty horrendous stuff, been in some horrendous situations during my, during my time and during my life. Um, and now, and you know, I primarily did that just to, just to see if I could recognize those signs and symptoms within me, but I find that I don't really suffer with any of that. And I don't know. I, I guess if I look into the depths and the weeds of it all, it's probably because I I use surfing as as my as my sort of like um, main body, my grip, my my route. And then when I you know when I found jujitsu back in two thousand and two thousand and thirteen, and I started training that, and realised like how adapt how addictive it is, and how much you think about it before and after training, and you know you're thinking about moves that you could do and you know, we've got social media now, you can look at YouTube videos and, and all sorts of things going on. And I find it's, it, it's definitely a, a positive distractor because, you know, you've, you've got that camaraderie with, with other, other people as well. Um, do you find that something similar for yourself or do you use it as, as something different? No, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny you bring up the, the mental aspect of it and yeah, for sure. I mean, whether it was time in the core and, and, the, and, you know, the experiences I had or whether it was, you know, starting, starting a business, you know, having a family, you know, just the way that my head is like, 
it, it's always going at a million miles an hour. My my head is always on fire. I can't turn it off. You know, there's it's just nonstop and it's absolutely exhausting. And and you know what I what I found, you know, it was only really recently that I started getting into um, meditation. And you know, the last few years really been studying meditation and and practicing meditation and trying to understand like mindfulness and the benefits of it for anxiety and for stress and for, you know, anger management. And, and what I found once I sort of understood that and, you know, trying, trying to sit for, for a meditation and trying to calm your mind and trying to stop the noise. That's one of the biggest problems I have is, and I'm, I'm hesitant to call it anxiety, you know, call it what you will, but just the level of of traffic and noise in my head that I can never turn off and 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 it just you know gets to levels that are almost sort of untenable and you know the the meditation practice teaches you to try and focus on one thing to stop that noise and get everything out of your head and focus on one thing and and I think of all the things in the world that I do jujitsu does that better than any med- meditation practice that I've learned, any any sort of you know mindfulness practice and and methods and and techniques that they try and teach people, jujitsu is is amazing like that because you know for those five minutes, once you clap hands, pump fists, and go on the mat, there is nothing in the world that you think about apart from another human trying to choke you out. Like that is it. There's nothing, doesn't matter what's happening in the world with work, with, you know, with family, with stress, doesn't matter. Nothing matters for five minutes where you are 1000% focused on, on that opponent on the mat and trying to stop him from getting a position, putting on a choke, you know, escaping out of that, putting on something, trying to figure out and play that mental chess game against them, figure out what game they're playing, how you're going to counter it, how you're going to see the next submission, how you're going to get out of that. And for five minutes, nothing in the world matters. And you know, from a mental point of view, I, I've never experienced anything like jujitsu does for you in, in that way. So for sure, you know, it's, it's helped with my stress with, with my anxiety with, you know, my entire mental sort of approach is, you know, getting on the mat, training for an hour, hour and a half, you know, with good friends, you know, just enjoying yourself and just giving absolute blocking the whole world out and nothing else matters for that period of time. It's better than any type of meditation that, that, that you could do with the fucking crystal charging hippies. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I love it, mate. It, it's, it's been so good for me. And, and another, another sort of mental, bit that jujitsu is so good for me is, is the, the sort of ego, but you know, every, every bootneck coming out thinks he's, he's the fucking, main guy owns the world you know nobody can touch him and you know you you develop certainly i did and and probably still still have is this you know a strong sense of arrogance that you're better than everyone and and you know what what jujitsu does is it it checks your ego it you check it at the door because there is always going to be somebody who is going to be better than you 
And, you know, you're always going to have a day on the mat where somebody will get you and somebody will dominate you and, and you have to check that ego. And it's, it's such a good thing because very few other things in life really do that to that level without consequence. You know, you can have, you can come in and, you know, bully the white belts, you can bully the rookies, you can, you know, really dominate guys on the mat and hey, the brown belt or the black belt or the purple belt is going to come in and he's just going to teach you a lesson and you're just going to be humbled and it just sets you back again at, at your base where you need to be. So, you know, every every human needs to have that because everyone gets arrogant. Everyone thinks that they're a lot better than than what they are. And it's it's good to be brought back to back to reality every now and then. And nowhere better in the world is is that than than on the mat. So uh, yeah, I, I love it. I love it for both aspects. I have a difficulty sometimes trying to explain it to other people. Uh, and you know, the, the humbling side of things that you are talking about there is um, I, I went into a meeting this morning because I, I started, um, you know, as you know, I started my own uh, jiu-jitsu school uh, a few months back and I, I'm quite lucky enough to be able to open it in a youth club that's literally, you know, 100 metres from my front door and, and the school where my daughter goes is, you know, just a couple of hundred metres extra along there and I was in the meeting with her this morning and uh, I was trying to get across the point that, you know, how good jiu-jitsu is for kids and, you know, it's all the social bonding, the dynamic of that close contact and self-defense and, and, and all those uh, good things that, that that come with it. And as we were as we were sat there talking about it, and what I said at the very beginning was I, I, I couldn't describe, it's difficult to describe what it is. I was just doing it through the sheer passion of talking about it. I mean, look, you know, you talking about it here for you know two three five minutes just then you can you can see the passion that's that's behind somebody that that is a practitioner in brazilian jiu-jitsu and i think if you um, and without being biased as well looking at other martial arts like karate and taekwondo and you talk to somebody that, that does that they never really have that passion that behind it of, of how like this is amazing you should try it um you know and i, I but I also think it does have that stereotype as well is that, you know, you could almost counter argue that it's one of the mixed martial arts that people do in cage fighting in, in you know, in inverted commas, you know, the idea is to, to get someone onto the floor and, and then hurt them. But then the counter argument for that is, well, what happens to the majority of fights or altercations that people get into? They end up on the floor because they lose their balance and they fall over. But what happens if you're really good? You know, a, you know, a white belt that's been training for a year has a lot more competence than somebody who's never done anything like ground fighting, and they can literally just. And again, without sounding bad, you know, women or children, you know, predominantly, predominantly um, weaker body type wise and, and biologically than than you know a full ground adult male, um, could easily sweep that person over. And get away from that situation now okay we've all been in fights before and if you've never been in a fight before this is the truth you could say oh i i you don't know man I, I, the red mist comes down and i'm just going to knock you out that's no somebody that's very well trained and and disciplined and uh, and knows these things um or as a boxer for instance and knows how to throw a punch well you, you just you're just not going to do that but if you're able to control somebody physically and and up close 
and dominate them through through a little bit of training through jiu-jitsu brazilian jiu-jitsu and then get away from that situation whether it's in the self-defense situation or, or whatever um, that should give you a whole bunch of confidence i think yeah for sure um yeah i i agree i mean no, nobody nobody would be at a disadvantage from from learning jiu-jitsu you know even even some basic basic jiu-jitsu um you know, guys getting in fights, whether it's in the pub or whether it's on the street or, or what the situation is, you know, a lot of guys that they know nothing other than throwing punches. And, you know, that, that ends up horribly for everyone, you know, and they, things can only escalate from there. And, you know, the guys, the, the guys who are well-trained on the mat and, you know, they've been doing jujitsu for a while. They've got that discipline to be able to control the situation, to not let their emotions run away from them because you can't on the mat. You know, when somebody is dominating you and, and somebody's going at you on the mat and, and you can't lose your cool, you can't lose your shit because it doesn't help. It's just going to make you more tired to throw tantrums. And, and so, you know, in, in a real life scenario, guys who train jujitsu are able to, really like maintain their calmness you know maintain their discipline properly assess the situation before you know read the situation instead of the red mist coming down you know they're used to understanding you know where somebody is around them how somebody's positioned where the threat is they're able to understand where they're vulnerable you know because people are constantly trying to attack your arms and your legs and your neck and so you you learn to have this great awareness around you of where other people are where you're vulnerable and you're able to calm everything down and sort of figure a way out and remain disciplined throughout that and and that's you know that that's a lot more important than just being able to hurt somebody and choke somebody out because yeah just guys can do that for sure but just to be able to have that sort of calm structured disciplined ability to actually be able to de-escalate things and and realize that you, your only weapon you know throwing punches and and windmilling into a situation is not your, your only option you can actually de-escalate this very very easily with you know a, a very easy control and 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 a little bit of wrestling and and take somebody to the ground and hold them there controlled where you're not doing them any major damage or any major injuries you're just controlling the situation until that person calms down or help comes or whatever the situation is um i was actually listening to a podcast recently with joe rogan and, and he was claiming that you know, some of the biggest problems, you know, right now in, in the police force and, and this bad rep they're getting and all the, you know, the bad videos and, and bad incidents that they're getting is, is it's down to, to a lack of training. They, they just don't have the ability to control the situation well enough and confidently enough that they have to resort to weapons. And then, you know, that just goes horribly wrong. And, and he, he was saying that, you know, every police officer should be trained to at least a, a purple belt level of jujitsu, and it would be an absolute game changer and, and reduce the number of, of bad incidents that, that, that the, the, the police are, are experiencing. And, you know, that, that would go, I think, even more for the UK police that don't get to go armed. They have to resort to de-escalating situations, controlling people, you know, in, in the correct manner. So, you know, jujitsu is it's massively important, and and I don't think anybody would would be at a disadvantage to learn it for sure. 
And I think one thing we've missed key out of this, and we've made this a very serious, like five minute conversation is how fun is it? It's so much fun. Like you come away with a smile on your face. You've just had like a lapel choke put on or, you know, a rear naked choke. And then you're like, yeah, man, you got me. And then you get up, you bump hands and you start again. And you just keep going and everybody's got smiles on the face at the end of the class and they're getting up and they're talking. They're talking about what they're doing, what they're doing in life. It's such a good culture. And, you know, the, the physical aspect and the fun aspect out of it is, is truly amazing, I think. Yeah, it's it's good. I mean, it's what's so amazing about jujitsu is is you learn ways to break arms, break legs, choke people out so that they're fast asleep. And it is one of the only combat sports where you get to practice all of that as hard as you can against another human in a real life combat setting. And you're perfectly safe throughout. You know, if you've got a good training partner and you're at a good gym and, you know, egos are left at the door, guys bump fists and they go and they go as hard as they can. You know, another human is in your space trying to choke you out until you tap. And when you tap, you have a laugh, you have a chuckle and you bump fists and you go again. And, you know, at the end of a, a 60, 90 minute session, you have truly experienced what it's like for somebody tr to try and attack you as hard as they can. And you have defended against that. You've turned it against them. You've attacked another person and you walk away, you know, completely, you know, happy as hell, super stoked, had a, an amazing workout and you have no injuries. If you had to try and do that in a, in a boxing or kickboxing envi environment, you'd, you'd end up with a broken nose and broken orbitals and, you know, smashed up face every single time. If you if you wanted to try and go that hard and 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 experience what it's like for real, and so jujitsu is the one. You know, of all combat sports, it's definitely got to be one of the most effective for truly learning to defend yourself and 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 you know attack somebody if you need to. I've got a couple of things I want to touch on before we wrap this up because we're, I'm quite conscious we've been going nearly an hour and a half now. Uh, I've got to pick my kids up from school, so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've actually got a question from somebody. I'm not going to mention who it is. And they've, they've said, uh, why have you been sandbagging at a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu for six years? Yeah, we, um, I, I got my purple belt through um, a guy called Chris Bright in, in, in South Africa. He's one of the, the, the top black belts. There. He runs the PE uh, Submission Fighting Academy. And like I said, yeah, I mean, we, we get through to Chris you know, as much as we can, but definitely not enough, you know, myself and Nick, we're, we're both purples. We both got our purples through Chris and, you know, he's, we, we, we kind of train in, in, in our, in our garages, we train in our small little gym, you know, we, we, we don't have any black belts to train with, to, to, to give out sort of gradings and that. And, you know, we, and, and at the same time, I and mean, we were not sort of, really too focused on the belts you know i'd i'd love you know for sure i mean it would be be nice to 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 get upgraded and 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 get a brown sometime in the in the future but like, it's not a focus for us you know we, we we're a bunch of mates all training together you know we it's it's not a big thing i mean we we're not from a, a gym a sort of big grading gym you know we don't it's it's not 
not a it's not a mega structured thing. We're a bunch of bunch of lads when we're not surfing and and fucking around elsewhere. We'll we'll meet on the mat as much as we can and 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 go hell for leather and then go off and get some beers afterwards. And so the color of the belt's pretty immaterial for us. But but for sure, I mean, I'd I'd love to in the future do what do what you're doing and and open up a, a little academy somewhere and. You know, I've got got two little kids coming up now. I'm starting to get them on the mat. And so, you know, it's going to be at the stage where, yeah, the color of your belt does kind of matter if you're wanting to do it seriously and 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 start start an academy and start teaching. So, yeah, I'd I definitely look at look at grading in the future, but yeah, it's it's not, not something that's been a massive priority right now. A little bit of a change of direction, a, a change of subject. Um, goldfish, you're wearing the t-shirt. Uh, yes. How did uh, how did that concept uh, come about? Cause it's uh, a company that you started, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, after Diego, one of the one of the Marines, one of the lads in Diego, a guy called uh, Sharif Gardner, he was a mortarman four two mainly. Spent quite a bit of time at at four two, most of his career at four um, two. He was on the team in Diego. We we kicked off, you know became really good mates there and and stayed in touch you know until we both left the core and he went i think we went maritime security for quite a bit and and i went the oil and gas route we we're both both doing security um and then he he got into the cyber security side of things um you know quite quite soon afterwards and and ended up working in the cyber security space and the sort of training space in cyber security in the uk um, and you know we we stayed in touch and he used to come to to SA and and come and surf there and come and visit there quite a bit and um you know he he phoned me up one day and said listen you know cybersecurity is the future and you know forget this this physical security shit you know that that you're doing in, in high risk parts of the world you know everyone needs cybersecurity and it's going to be the next big thing and this was maybe 5 years ago so we kind of put our heads together and and you know, try to figure out, you know, two simpleton bootnecks, you know, how we were going to get involved in the tech cybersecurity industry. And, you know, I struggled to turn on a, on a bloody laptop most days. And you know, we, we figured out, you know, from both of us working in, 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 in corporate spaces and big corporate companies, you know, we had experienced corporate training and, and death by PowerPoint and shitty instructors trying to teach you about information security and data security and, and cyber security. And we realized that there was actually quite a gap in the market. You know, there was, there was a way that we could do it better. And, you know, with our backgrounds in dealing with people and training people and, you know, as well, you know, we, we had to learn a hell of a lot ourselves. You know, we were determined we, we were getting involved in cybersecurity. And so we had to do a shit ton of reading and, and figure out some pretty complex um, subjects and topics and, and relate them, you know, to make it simple for us. And, and we then started building training content and we, we formed Goldfish uh, as a cybersecurity awareness training company and started building training courses, um, all online e-learning courses, um, explainer videos, animation videos, so that businesses could educate their, their, their people, um, you know, how to avoid cyber attacks. And, and, you know, in doing so, it would protect businesses from getting hacked because their employees keep dropping them in the shit and doing dumb shit. And it would protect people themselves, you know, to avoid online fraud, online scams, and just be better aware of the threats that are out there. And so we went from creating courses 
um, and sort of launching those in 2017. We, we launched Goldfish into 2017. Um, to then building an entire sort of online um, tech platform where businesses can actually use a, a web-based platform to, to sign up their employees, train their employees. Um, we've got a, a phishing simulator on there as well, where you know a company can create you know fake phishing emails and actually send them out to their workforce and see how many people click on them and and you know fail the, the phishing tests and that. And you know it's it's just a, a tool we try to create to help businesses almost build a, a, a more secure culture. So you know if you imagine you know, the safety cultures that we all experience now and safety, health and safety, such a big thing in every business around the world. Well, you know, in, in 2022, cyber culture and, and security culture is a massive thing now. Companies are losing millions of dollars, um, you know, through fraud and through hacks and through cyber crime and educating their employees to be a little bit more switched on um, is is one of the sort of key ways to avoid that. And so that that's the sort of, you know, what Goldfish does and what we're trying to achieve. You know, the, the two of us have had that. We've, we've built a small team. Um, we're fully remote working. Um, so, you know, a lot of the team are based in South Africa. We've got software developers, sales teams, marketers, graphic designers, and um, and and some of the team are, are in the UK as well. And so, yeah, we, we've been doing that now for five years together. Sounds amazing. And to build something like that from an idea is, yeah, and be able to, you know, work remotely soon you can go and have a surf and and do all these other other cool things that we like to do as well when you work for yourself um you know it, it's quite quite all inspiring and especially i think um as a culture of culture of of being a bootneck and a royal marine you kind of work on there's no cuff too tough um and if you've got to go away and learn something you can you can do it and wing it make it sound good even if you really don't know what you're talking about as well um i i could imagine to start with that's that's kind of like how you were with cybersecurity and not really knowing too much about it but then as you start doing it you teach it and you go along you start learning more and you start developing the way that you think and and actually the trends within the market that are then able you to develop everything to where you are today yeah i mean it was you know, any any bootneck can can come in and and you know the operational side of things is is always our our forte. Like that's where we thrive. We we see an idea, we see a product. You know, we want to you either want to deliver a service or, or or build a product and deliver that. And that's that's easy for bootnecks. You know, we get in, we get stuck in, we you know work you know till we till we pass out and get that done and. You know, I enjoyed that side of it and, and enjoyed kind of figuring out how we were going to build a service, how we we're going to build a product, make it the very best product possible. And I thrived on that. Then you, you realize that, okay, well, as a business owner, I need to learn about legal shit. And I need to start figuring out finance and accounting. And I need to get, you know, figure out what marketing is and start learning how to build brand and how online marketing works and how websites work. And, you know, I've, you know, not just the cybersecurity side of things and the training side of things, but, you know, we brought on a software development team and 
they may they as may, may as well be talking fucking Chinese most days, you know, <laughs> and and trying to understand what they do, and then trying to manage them and and build a product with with them. And I mean, it's the learning curve is is like this. And but as you say, there's no cuff too tough, you know, fake it till you make it. And so it's it's been a really really enjoyable but super, super challenging time. Um, but, you know, it's enjoying those little wins. And, you know, each year we've, we've gotten stronger and we've grown and we've, you know, brought on new team members and we've got new challenges. And it's, it's, been, it's been a pretty, pretty crazy, pretty crazy ride so far. It's, it's, been, it's been one of the hardest things I've ever done is, is you know, starting my own business and, and launching that and, and taking that now, but, you know, we've, we've grown, you know, year after year now, we've got a small full-time, full-time team of, of 18 members, you know, we're, we're selling into 14 different countries now. And I do all of that from, you know, my, my home in, in Cape St. Francis, you know, fully remote, get my surf in most days. And, you know, I, I sit in my wetsuit most days, you know, for, for, for meetings, I have my wetsuit pulled down to my waist. I have a meeting, after the meeting, go grab a board, go, go get a surf. So, you know, the life lifestyle is good, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's no joke. You know, starting, starting your own business and try to make that a success is, uh, is not for sissies. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been good. Yeah. Take my hats off to you. And, uh, like I say, you know, that's, that's something that I'm developing myself and I'm not just starting one thing I'm starting to So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'll let you know this time next year how it's going. <laughs> Yeah. Mate, I'd like to uh, finish off uh, this conversation with uh, with a quick fire round, surfing related. So cool. the first question is: If you had one surfboard fin set up for the rest of your life, would it be single fin, twin fin, quad, bonza, finless, two plus one, or thruster? I've always been a thruster guy. Favorite yeah. surfer and why? I'd have to say Jordy. Um, he's such a good guy. Um, yeah, he's he's a legend. So we came up around the the same time. He's done so well for himself. I mean, he's an absolute superstar. And yet, you know, when you see him on the beach or you have him around for for a bry or you know share a beer with him, he's the most humble guy in the world. And he's so fucking good at J Bay. You know, it's amazing just to sit and watch that guy on the water. So I definitely say Jordy Smith. Yeah, better than my awkward stiff flick flacks that i'd probably throw out there <laughs> if i came down he'd be like who's this absolute idiot in the water <laughs> uh best pre and post surf food oh pre-surf food i actually i eat a lot of oats um oats porridge just good sort of slow slow burn tons of tons of energy good endurance food and post surf gotta be a braai Get, get the meat on the fire and braai with the boys afterwards every time. Explain to people what a braai is. It's, it's a man's version of a barbecue. So it's just meat. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if you want salad, if you want salad, you can have chicken. So can, you put, can you put like a vegan burger on there and just, you know, cut that off now? There's no vegans allowed at a braai. <laughs> uh, what is the who is the best and the worst person to share a lineup with? Best and the worst. You can name people and shame them if you want. That's a good one. Um, who the worst? 
pro-female surfers. And that's probably super controversial. I don't know if you've got any any pro pro female surfers in your in your in your viewers, but uh, yeah, they they're a pain in, they're a pain in the ass in the water. They they're entitled, try and take all the waves, and then throw a shit for tantrum if you burn them or or, or scream at them in the water. So yeah, they're they're pretty tough. Um, best people to surf with in the water. Um, my little boy now, Taylor, he's, uh, he's turning seven this year and he's, he's been surfing now for a couple of years and absolutely loves it. He wakes up in the morning and just wants to surf all day, every single day. And so getting in the water with him now and, and surfing with him, I definitely say he's, he's my most fun person to surf with these days because I don't know anyone who's more stoked to be a surfer and be in the ocean than him. So I definitely say Taylor. Yeah, it's definitely cool watching your watching your kids get in the water and enjoy the enjoying the passion that you enjoy doing too. Uh, a little bit on your uh, women surfer uh, comment is uh, I think that you're in quite a unique position to be saying professional female surfers because you know your main break that you surf is probably one of the world's best point breaks as well. So. Um, I think we can just limit it to Jeffrey's Bay, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 female the female surfing tour, you know, they've 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 come a long way. I mean, there's some there's some pretty pretty good girl surfers. You know, we've we've got a handful of pretty strong girls in in South Africa who are up and coming, um, and and some some pretty good competitors. And but you know, they are still few and far between. And I don't know why that is. I mean, I've I've got a little girl. She has zero interest in surfing, but she's going to get bullied into it sometime soon. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know why they, why they can't compete on the same level. It's, it's strange because it's a sport that you would think would be, you know, pretty equal. You know, men, men versus females. There's not, yeah. So it, it's a, it's a strange one. That, I don't know. That's a, that's definitely. So a I think it's a style question as well. I mean, look at Carissa Moore's and. And, and Steph Gilmore, you know, they're, they're kind of like at the, at the pinnacle of, of professional female surfing. And I, I think on their day, they can keep the hand in the, in, in the, uh, in the conversation with the best of the men. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the likes of the likes of Carissa Moore and that, and, and, you know, Lakey and, you know, they, they're shit hot. you know, we, we're joking around with, with, you know, the boys at home, we're saying, well, we, we need to nominate one of the boys, you know, and, and one of our mates, Billy, really good surfer. We're saying, well, we, we all need to nominate him to go get a sex change and then he can compete on the women's tour. And he'd make millions doing it. He's a really, really good surfer. And um, and he, he'd make an absolute fortune because, I mean, the women are getting paid the same as the men now. But then actually, like when we watch Lakey, we watch Carissa, we're like, they'd smoke Billy. They like, he'd, he'd probably struggle to get past them, especially, you know, in the big stuff where, where, where they're so good as well. So no, I mean, there's, there's a handful of the girl surfers out there that are, that are on it for sure. I think I know the answer to this question, but if you had one surf break to surf for the rest of your life, where would it be? Or what would it be? Um, oof, tough one, tough one. If, if it was consistent, if it broke every day and it was uncrowded, I'd say super tubes, J Bay for sure. But fuck, it's a circus these days. There's so many people. It's so crowded. I mean, I, I still get my waves there. You know, I don't struggle for waves, but it's, it turned into a bit of a shit show. Um, 
and consistency is, is not what people think it is. You know, they, they'll, they'll, they'll dial in for the, for the J-Bay Pro every year and watch cooking supers for seven days of the contest and think like it's, you know, it's like that every day. But fuck, I mean, we go weeks without waves. And, um, but still, I mean, it is, it is my favorite wave in the world. And I'd, I'd love to, to get it uncrowded and more consistent, you know, but, but no, it's, it's the very best out there. I think you make a good point with that as well as you know a lot of people see these these world-class waves breaking all the time like you know the mexico's the g lands the jeffrey's bays um all these world-class breaks but actually they purposely put these onto the television and and televise these events when the swell window is at its best yeah so you know and that's why they've got a waiting period as well the majority of the time, you know, it's the same as everybody else in the world. You're waiting for the right tide, for the right wind, for the right swell direction and all the other uh, geographical uh, equations that come into it to, to make surfing great and make a wave great. It's still the same wherever you are, I think. So, um, yeah, I think everybody's fantasy of having a wave that would break consistently all the time. It's kind of like, you know, watching... Oki's wave that's down in Australia, or these these man-made waves now, like the wave pools and stuff. Those are the, I guess I guess that's kind of the future if you want consistency. Yeah, for sure. I think the wave pool is definitely going to be the the future. I mean, we ho hopefully we can see the technology advance over the next few years where it just gets a little bit cheaper now. So I mean, it costs an absolute fortune to build those places. So you know, to, run, to them. run them and yeah. run them. So, I mean, the prices to get in there for a couple hours as a surfer are, are crazy. But, you know, hopefully we, we see them become sort of more, more popular and, 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 you know, more destinations to go to them because they look amazing. They look epic. And, I mean, I don't think there's any better way. You know, surfing has got to be one of the hardest sports in the world to get really good at. You know, to get to get your 10,000 hours to become a professional, you know, like to get a really, really high level of competence at, at surfing, I think is more difficult than any other sport. You know, you want to do jujitsu. I mean, look at the likes of BJ Penn. When he get his black belt in like three years, or something ridiculous, you know, you, you can go and train in a gym for six hours a day, just be on the mat and train and you'll get your black belt in three years. Surfing. <laughs> There's no way that you can speed that up. You know, there's you, you need time on the wave. And you know, if if you're if you're going and surfing, if if you're at a spot like supers and you surf for five hours at supers, five or six hours on a cooking day at supers, absolutely firing, you're probably gonna get no more than three or four minutes of actual wave time in a five hour surf, you know? And so, and, and that's it, you know, to try and get your 10,000 hours, to try and get to that super, super elite level. It's, it's one of the hardest sports. It takes absolute decades to get there. So it's, it's a tough, it's a tough sport to get really good at. And you can kind of see why so few people sort of take it up because it, it takes forever to get good. Well, they do take it up, but they're kind of like Saturday and Sunday people and they stay on the phone for the rest of their life. And then they want to be Kelly Slater, but they can't because they don't put the, the back brown, back, backbone work into it. And then they just become fod in the water when it's a good day. 
and you get annoyed with people because yeah, that's generally exactly. what happens. <laughs> but but then I mean the, the the wave the wave pools are going to be the 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 answer to that. You know, I I think the the level of surfing is going to accelerate. You know, past anything we've seen in the next few years. You know, once once guys are being able to sort of absolutely master the sport in in those pools and and get the serious wave time there. So yeah, it's going to be good to watch. Dan Thornton, it's been epic talking to you. Thank you so much for your stories and I, I appreciate your time, mate. It's been epic. Yeah, it's been fun, mate. Thanks very much. I'll see you later. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Bye. And that's it. If you like the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast providers and leave a little bit of a review where you can leave reviews. Thanks for listening.